It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for letting me join you. That's probably actually more accurate because, like, I'm just part of your day. But thank you for letting me be a part of your day. I appreciate it. I also appreciate patrons. Let me give them a shout out like Mary, Eric, and David, Peggy, Tavis, Kristen, Beth, and Al. Kim, Eugene, Brian, thanks so much, everybody, for becoming patrons of the show. Also, thank you, everybody. We did our live stream last night, and uh, this was the one that we do once a month on the Facebook group, in the Facebook group. And uh, (laughs) I don't know what it is about Facebook. It breaks my audio equipment. And uh, last month when we did it, it blew out all of the microphone ports on my mixing board. And last night, it blew out my microphone, broke the microphone. So we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> we'll just we'll just send people the private link to the YouTube channel, and we'll do it that way. So live streams are available, by the way, every Thursday night if you uh, are a patron to the show. So Governor Cooper has decided to urge districts, school districts around the state to reopen. He's not telling them to reopen. Now, he can tell businesses that they, you know, got to shut down and when they open and how much they can open, how many people they can have and like all of this other stuff. He can dictate terms for everything else, but not the school districts, which are under his control. (laughs) Right. This is the amazing thing that the areas of our economy that he exerts his power and his rule right in the land of Roy. uh, It is interesting where he chooses to exert his authority. In the private sector, he's all about telling us what to do. And I've I've pointed this out repeatedly, uh, that you know the guy who can't figure out how to do in-person news conferences after a year, I'm thinking might not be the best person to be taking guidance from on how to reopen your business safely. I would trust maybe the businesses to do that. <laughs> um and now he's, he, he doesn't want to direct the school districts to make uh, in-person instruction available. He's just recommending it. He's urging them, please open. So why the change, though? So we're going to get into the, uh, into the science behind this, into the, uh, the arguments and such. But I am curious, why the change? And uh, there's, a, you know, there's a, a cover story, if you will. Like, for the record, it's the science. It's the research, he says. But I suspect there's something else going on. Now, if you suspect that you might benefit from CBD products, then uh, you need to go where I go, which is Growers Hemp. GrowersHemp.com. That's their website. Growers Hemp. They are North Carolina farmers. And they said, you know what? Why don't we uh, take control of our crops uh, beyond uh, when we harvest them? Because uh, there were a lot of these companies that were coming in from out of state and they were like, hey, farmers, you know, plant a bunch of hemp and you'll totally make money and we'll do all of this for you. And then the companies just, you know, skipped town. They evaporated. They disappeared. And a lot of farmers were left with crop and what do you do with it so these farmers said you know what why don't we do something with it and they created growers hemp so they control the whole process from seed to shelf you get better quality and you get a lower price and you're helping support north carolina 
family farms. Growershemp.com, use the promo code PETE and you'll get 20% off. I take some of the uh, Growers Hemp full spectrum hemp extract before I go to bed every night and I sleep through the night and I sleep more deeply than I ever have before. As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer that I got to read to you because GovCo requires it. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, which is it makes sense because I literally just said them. So the FDA is not monitoring this podcast. Um, the F- the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing that I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Uh, look for their ad in Our State Magazine. Look for their product on the shelves at the Broad River Hemp Company in Shelby, the Durham Co-op, the Medical Pharmacy in Locust, uh, but also at growershemp.com. Promo code PETE for 20% off from North Carolina farmers to you in your home, Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp and not the hype. So Governor Cooper announced this week his desire <laughs> as the AP. I love the AP writer. Uh, <laughs> he has announced his desire for the state's more than one and a half million public school students to be given the option of daily in-person classes. But he declined to compel districts to make that option available. I love this. So uh, it's framed as his desire. He simply wishes. It's just his desire that everybody you know, have this option available, but he declined to compel. Declined is a more passive way to say he refused. Refused has a negative connotation to it, right? It's more of a belligerent kind of aggressive stance, right? That's what it conjures up, the word does. Uh, So when you refuse to do something, like somebody's trying to make you, right? And so you're like, I don't want to do that. I refuse, right? It's more combative. But he's declining to compel districts, unlike you know, every other sector of the economy that he had no problem compelling people to do stuff. Um, He said, let's give these local boards a chance. They've had to make some tough decisions. And he says, I think we agree that our decisions are best made about education at the local level, which is interesting because this is not what he says about a lot of the other decisions. He says, you can go more strict, but you can't go less strict than what I am recommending. But on this, on the schools, now he's saying, We urge you to do the less strict thing, but I'm not going to compel you to do less strict things. (laughs) But but local control is better, except, of course, when you're talking about like the federal plan, then he's like, oh, we got no I got no guidance from the feds. We need more direction from the feds. We need more help from the feds. Like on that, he's all about, you know, kicking the responsibility up to the federal level. Doesn't want really a lot of local control here to be making decisions. But if he has to, he'd rather kick those down to the local level below him. So this way he doesn't have a lot of, uh, you know, fingerprints on some of this stuff. It's like I get the sense here that he's trying to minimize political damage. But I think that's going to become pretty clear. So uh, here's the first clip where he says, look, let's give the local school districts a chance to make this call for themselves. At least 90 of our 115 school districts are doing just that by providing in-person instruction for some or all of our students right now. What's new is that research done right here in North Carolina tells us that in-person learning is working and that students can be in classrooms safely with the right safety protocols in place. 
All right. So what what is he saying? That virtually all schools are offering some in-person option, but some are not. And the, the research shows that the schools that have been offering this, they're not seeing outbreaks and transmission and stuff. So it's safe to do so. So why would you not compel these other districts? Like, what's the holdout? Why are they holding out? Today, I'm joined by our state education leaders to strongly urge that all schools provide in-person learning for their students. In addition, it's critically important that these schools strictly follow the safety protocols laid out by the Department of Health and Human Services. That guidance reinforces the importance of in-person learning while maintaining strong public health measures to protect students, teachers, staff, and families. Students should still have the option of remote learning the school year if that's best for them. And the teachers who are at risk should be providing that remote instruction. Yeah, nobody disagrees about that. Students who are ready to return to the classrooms should have that chance. Right, which we've been saying for months. Right, okay. This pandemic has tested us in different ways. But our educators and school staff have never stopped showing up for our students. Well, our t- I mean, not I mean, not literally. Right. Technically, they some of them haven't shown up <laughs> like they're not they're not going into the classroom that showing up for work. Some of them aren't. Right. Teachers have worked to engage our students, whether remotely or in person. Our custodial staff has worked to keep schools clean and safe. Our bus drivers have gotten meals to students and taken them to and from school safely. I know how hard you're working and that your state appreciates deeply your extraordinary service. Parents deserve a lot of credit right now, too, and I thank them. We know they've served as teacher assistants at home on top of their jobs and other responsibilities. And our students have worked hard to learn amid unprecedented challenges. I'm so grateful for the way people have stepped up for our schools. Yeah, um, kids are not learning. Sorry, like all the data is showing that this has been an absolute catastrophe for kids to have lost essentially an entire year of instructional time. I'm going to get into more of that. Um, Many kids, according to the AP, many children and parents remain stuck in online only offerings. The state's largest two districts in Wake County and Mecklenburg County uh, presently have all students learning remotely, a database of all 115 districts reopenings that is uh, maintained by the North Carolina School Boards Association shows many other areas staying fully online. Now, I don't know what that means. Many other areas. I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. The NAP does not explain it. Cooper now finds himself in the unique position of being at odds with both Republican leaders and the state's largest lobbying group for teachers. The North Carolina Association of Educators wants more reopening money and safety protections for teachers, while Republicans are calling for a statewide requirement to swiftly reopen K-12 schools. That, that's, it's not, that, that's misleading. If I were doing the PolitiFact fact-checking on that, I would say that's misleading. It's half true. Because Republicans are not just calling for statewide requirement to swiftly reopen K-12 schools. They want, they want the in-person option made available. They want, yes, they want them open, but they're not saying that they just need to reopen as they were. Right. Um, And I have the legislation, actually. Uh, We'll go over that as well. The newly reelected governor said he has issues with a plan from state lawmakers that would force districts to offer at least partial in-person instruction, though parents must be given the option to keep their kids at home as well. 
Cooper said that he worries that the Senate bill is going to compromise safety. Okay, I'm not I'm not really buying this argument. Now, you heard Cooper in that soundbite say that uh, there's this new research, and that's the reason he has changed his mind. And this was part of the, they called the ABC Science Collaborative Study. Um, and I'm going to get to that, uh, I'll go over a little bit of the details out of that as well. And uh, then, as she does, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Mandy Cohen, uh, she starts off, you know, heaping praise on Governor Cooper, and he's just wonderful through all this. And then she begins explaining how the risks of reopening are very low, uh, you know, for kids and for staff. Uh, and I got to say, this soundbite here, she sounds almost like one of her conservative critics here. From the outset of the pandemic, Governor Cooper took early and aggressive action <laughs> to protect amazing. the health of North Carolina. Oh, see, he's just amazing. We have been guided by data and the developing science. Of course you have. It was that data and science that prompted us to allow <laughs> school districts to go back to in-person instruction last July. Right, yeah. This it's the science is the same, okay? All of this stuff has been shown all around the world. It's been the same for months. You are late to this conclusion. And I suspect I know the reason why, but we're going to let this play out a little bit. At the time, the emerging evidence showed that school was a lower risk setting and that we could further reduce risk for students, teachers and staff with strong guidance and preventive measures. In the almost seven months since, ongoing research continues to reaffirm the early science that guided those decisions. Children, particularly younger children, continue to be less likely to get and spread COVID-19 than adults. When children do get COVID-19, most have very mild illness. Only in very rare instances have children developed severe symptoms. New studies also reaffirm that strong prevention measures, like the ones we have here for our North Carolina schools, they work. All right, so that's key. Remember that. The prevention measures that North Carolina Health and Human Services put in place and recommended all their guidance and everything to the schools that allowed some of them to reopen under this hybrid, you know, partial open, partial close kind of model, that they work. These things work, she says. The three W's, they they work. This is going to become important because the reason Cooper doesn't like the bill that just made its way out of the Senate is because he says it doesn't provide safety guidance. Just keep that in mind. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recently cited North Carolina as an example that schools can reopen safely, even during periods of high community transmission, hmm. when they follow those COVID-19 safety protocols. Interesting. A study by North Carolina's ABC Collaborative found that if someone is attending school had COVID-19, it was very unlikely that they got COVID-19 at school or that they gave it to anyone else at the school. Interesting. So you didn't get it at the school, and you didn't give it to anyone at the school. Really? This flies in the face of the criticism coming from the teachers' union. And in the schools that the collaborative studied, there were no cases of student to staff transmission. Mm. This is consistent with other studies in the United States and around the world that show children rarely transmit COVID-19 to other children and rarely transmit it to adults in an in-person school setting. It comes down to strong public health safety measures in our school. 
Since August, at least 90 of our state's 115 school districts have provided in-person instruction for some or all of their students using those safety protocols. Even with the thousands of students and teachers attending school in person across the state, we have seen few COVID-19 clusters in our public schools. Okay, this is not new information. I mean, I understand this research is new, but it just adds to other data points of other studies, which have been around for months. Rand Paul was saying this, remember, to Dr. Fauci over the summertime before the start of school. People were saying this to this governor and to this health secretary in July, and they were crafting their plan A, B, and C, and then they told school districts, you guys make the call. And remember, he was going to make an announcement about the schools, and then he kicked the can down the road and delayed it because he was still getting input from the stakeholders. I suspect as do a lot of people, but apparently not our reporters in the media in or in the, the Capitol Press Corps, uh, they apparently don't suspect this, I, I guess, because they don't ever ask the governor, have you been getting pressure from the NCAE? Now, they, I will say, to their credit, they did ask about the NCAE, the Association of Educators. I have got that audio. They did ask about it, but it's, it's not from a perspective of the pressure being applied to him from this group. And he's making policy decisions based on the pressure from them. To me, it's very clear. Just like picking a real estate agent, it should be Rowena Patton. Very clear. And by the way, if you are an educator then you can keep 25% of the realtor commission. It's true because Rowena Patton is part of the Homes for Heroes program. It's a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. And it's open to educators, but also firefighters and police officers, uh, healthcare professionals as well, and uh, veterans, military active duty, uh, so uh, retirees. So keep more of your own money and get your dream home or get your house sold fast and for more money. She outsells 99% of the real estate agents in the state. She has buyers lined up. She has homes in all price points, and she's the only agent that I called when uh, Christy and I went to buy our house. So uh, we're in the process of it right now. So give her a call. Her number is 333-4483. That's 828-333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call and then start packing. All right, so the messaging from Cooper and Cohen is clearly directed at not us, right? Not like most of the people, if you're listening to this podcast, we're in agreement, you got to open the schools and the schools should have been opened a while ago, right? So who is this aimed at? Who are they trying to convince? They're trying to convince Democrats, their base, because their base, I keep going back to this. To me, it's like the most important uh, data point in the COVID uh, coverage was the assessment of risk. It was a poll that was done by Gallup for Franklin Templeton Financial Advisors. And these are people like their business is uh, understanding risk and people's tolerance for risk. And so they put out a, a poll and they had Gallup conduct it. And it came back that most Americans have a wild misperception of the risks of COVID-19. They think like that they think that uh, all age groups get it equally, and that's not true. And they found these misperceptions were most acute among Democrats. Democrats had a a a greater misperception of the risks of COVID-19 than non-Democrats. And so what what 
conclusions do we draw from this? Well, if Cooper is trying to talk to the teachers union and the teachers, and he's trying to tell them and his base, right, these are Democrats that put him in office because they perceived him to be better in fighting the pandemic, because they're scared. They're more scared. And why are they scared? Because their perception of the risk is that everyone's going to catch it and die. But what we know is that the vast majority of people who catch it and get really, really sick and die from it are people over the age of 65. And so if you, we've been, I know we're like a broken record on this. We've been saying this since the beginning, almost a year ago, protect the vulnerable populations and let everybody else go about roughly, you know, their normal life. Because the risks associated with everybody else versus the most vulnerable population is not worth the lockdown costs. And we've been saying this, and what, and what do we get for it? We get accused of trying to kill people, right? That's, what, that's the accusation that comes at us. So what Cooper and Cohen are now trying to do is convince the people that they first convinced we're all going to die if we listen to these evil conservatives and Republicans, and they're talking about opening up and they're risking lives. They just want money. They're greedy. They want you dead, right? So th- this is all the stuff that they were promoting before. Now they have to try to kind of drag people away from that mindset and say, okay, well, now we're going to promote the same thing, but it's different. It's different when we're doing it. We're saying, okay, we may be saying the same thing, but we love people. We don't want them to die. We're telling you this is safe now. Now we know. See, they never admit that they were wrong. They'll never admit that, oh, yeah, you know what? We were just saying you know, earlier that we can't do this safely. Yeah, we were wrong about that. They won't say that. And to a large degree, I understand why. You're an elected official. You cannot say that you got something wrong. <laughs> it's an impossibility. You never get anything wrong. Um But that's essentially what they're saying. And she comes out like, oh, just like we thought and we were making these decisions and Cooper's been a fantastic leader. Yeah, it's a shift. This is a flip flop. And they've got to do it delicately because they cannot anger the NCAE. They're afraid of what the teachers union, not a union, it's an association, Pete. We don't have collective bargaining rights, so we're not really a union. Yeah, you're a chapter of the NEA. So, yes, you're a union. You don't have collective bargaining rights, but you're a union. And they don't want to anger this constituency in their base. You know why? Because that constituency has an outsized voice in Democratic primaries. That's the problem. That's what they're afraid of. They don't want to get in, like a, a, a left flank action against them in the primary. So they've got to now try to convince all these people that the thing they told you was unsafe before now is safe. And that's tough. Like, I get it. That's pretty tough. Um, the NCAE is also saying, look, if you're going to send us back, you need to vaccinate us first. And they're trying to shame and pressure and guilt Cooper into moving all the teachers up to the front of the line. Now, uh, I would submit that that's not actually a good faith argument because I've seen what the teachers unions have done in other states where they demand to get vaccinated first and then they get vaccinated and they still refuse to go back. (laughs) So uh, I'm getting like I'm arriving at a place where I'm thinking teachers don't actually want to go back to school. Some of these teachers do not want to go back to work for whatever reason. I assume it's because they enjoy being home and they're not working as hard or as much. And now I'm not saying that of all teachers, hashtag not all teachers. I'm not saying that all teachers are slacking off, but I've got to believe there's a reason why you would make all of these demands, have them satisfied, 
and then still refuse to go back to work, right? There's got to be a reason. And I'm thinking it's that there's a lot of people that they just don't want to go back into the classroom. Uh, in which case, then you probably shouldn't be a teacher, right? Uh, here is Cooper. He is asked by Andrea Blanford with ABC 11. Uh, this is uh, what I uh, deem to be the closest thing to a challenge that Cooper got over the influence of the North Carolina Association of Educators. I was hoping you could respond more directly to the North Carolina Association of Educators, um, whose president told our reporter last night teachers are very disappointed at urging the return to in-person learning without first prioritizing their vaccination. What, what would you say to them? Well, first, I am so grateful for our educators, <laughs> not only our teachers and principals, but the frontline school staff. Who I love you guys. I, mean, I, I, I know you got to go back to work, but I love you. Please don't hate me. Been working so hard. They've been heroes. I've been a fighter for our public school educators. The proposal that we've made uh, provides significant safety guidelines for educators in our public schools. And it is based upon research that has occurred that shows that going back to school and getting students in the classroom can be done safely with the appropriate uh, health protocols that are in place. And in addition, we know the bad things that are happening with our students with depression and with not reporting child abuse and all of the things that educators in the classroom can do for our students that's hard to do remotely. I want to continue to work with our educators to keep them safe. I know I've talked to many of them who, who believe it is their mission to help educate these children. One of the things I'm doing today is proposing these uh, immediate one-time bonuses for our educators. They were left out of pay raises uh, the last two years. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, hang on. They were left out of pay raises because you vetoed the budget. <laughs> Governor Cooper vetoed the budget because he used their salary increases proposed by the Republican General Assembly as leverage to get Medicaid expanded. Cooper used teachers with the acquiescence, by the way, of the NCAE leadership. Okay, They were on board with this, with this play. Right. Last year, year before, they were like, we're okay with the governor using us as pawns to try to get Medicaid expanded. And it didn't work. And so the NCAE and the governor ended up getting no raises for their teachers. None. And uh, by the way, I have here in the stack of stuff. Um, do, 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 I've got their. Where is it? Oh, it's over here. Uh I have another stack of stuff. It's the second stack of stuff. I have their list of legislative priorities. <laughs> and do you want to know what they are? Uh, let's see here. There are seven. And number one, provide education support professionals a living wage. Number two, reform salaries for active and retired educators. Number three, halt the state private school voucher programs. Number four, restore all teachers and school-based administrative uh, administration compensation. Uh, five, expand Medicaid funding, and then six and seven, expansion of funding to hire additional teachers, assistants, school nurses, counselors, social workers, and psychologists, and implement the Leandro court order. So seven of these priorities, what three of them are about increased compensation to employees in the districts. Uh, one is to kill the competitor that they have with school vouchers. Um, 
Two is to increase the uh, uh, just the overall education funding, and one is the expansion of Medicaid. So they're still they're still all in on the expansion of Medicaid, and they you now think about that. They're still on board. So what is the politics here, right? The the NCAE has cast their lot with Governor Cooper over Medicaid expansion to the point where they. Uh, they lost out on teacher pay raises. Do you think that might anger their constituency? Do you think that their teachers are a little bit mad that they didn't get a pay raise last year because the leadership hooked its wagon to Cooper's Medicaid kamikaze run and lost, right? They lost. And so now Cooper's going to use the lack of pay raises as a reason why they need to get these bonuses (laughs) this year. (laughs) Okay. Meanwhile, you know, uh, claiming zero uh, uh, culpability here for why they didn't get those raises. He just points it out like, oh, somebody prevented you from getting these raises. We need to get them help and to show them how much we appreciate them, which we do. And we're continuing to push the administration hard to get us more vaccine in North Carolina. We want to get to teachers and other essential workers as quickly as we possibly can. It's the Fed's fault. And I know that that strong effort is going to be made. Next question, please. We have a follow-up. Andrea Blanford, ABC 11. Thank you for that. On, on the flip side, what do you plan to do with that proposed school bill that's working through the the General Assembly right now requiring schools to reopen. Thank you. I have concerns about that legislation because just as you mentioned earlier about teachers being concerned to go back, that bill doesn't follow the guidelines that the Department of Health and Human Services has put out there, uh, particularly for our middle and high schools. So I'll have to wait and see what the final bill looks like when I get it. I don't think it's even out of the Senate yet. And uh, what we want to do, uh, the, the good thing is, I think we all want to get our children back into the classroom, and we want to do it safely. But in order to do that, we need to follow the health guidelines that's been set out by the department, and this legislation doesn't do that. Okay, so is that true? We'll take a look in one second. First, General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. They've uh, they've been there for years. It's family-owned and operated, third generation, and great people and a great business. They've got all the tools that you need to get the job done right and get it jo- uh, get the job done right the first time. If you are a contractor uh, and you know you're doing you know small projects here and there, you like handyman services, and you know somebody uh, says, "Hey, we would I would really love for you to be able to do this kind of work." Like I have, uh, you know, I want a fence put in. Okay, well, do you have an auger? Do you have something like that's going to be, or are you going to go at it with like a post hole digger? <laughs> like that's that is not advisable. As one, I can tell you, I did some fence work years ago, and I got an auger, and it was a great get for the project. It it made it so much easier uh, rather than digging with a shovel and uh, with one of those things. We actually broke me and my neighbor. Uh, we actually broke the post hole digger <laughs> because it was just so old. So get yourself the right tool for the job. It goes so much faster and it's better. The job comes out better. Okay. So they've got all of your equipment needs at general equipment rental, big and small. Go check them out online at generalrents.com. By the way, if you, uh, are looking to decontaminate and cleanse the area so the kids can come back to school, for example, 
go get their mister. Go rent the, the Karcher mister, and uh, you can spray everything down and decontaminate, disinfect everything, sanitize everything, and it's all uh, uh, safe for food surfaces. Uh, air compressors, uh, scaffolding, large power equipment, small tools, basically everything. Go to General Equipment Rental. They've got the tool that you need to get the job done right. They're also your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. So spring is coming. Uh, start thinking about the tools that you need for the yard work and such and go to general equipment rentals start checking them out now before the spring gets here so you're going to be prepared generalrents.com general equipment rental in weaverville think outside your toolbox so governor cooper says that uh he has to look at the legislation but he's not sure he can sign it because uh the bill doesn't follow dhhs guidelines especially in middle and high school so is this true so I look at the bill, I have the legislation right here. Section two, in providing for in-person instruction, local school administrative units shall comply with the following. Number one, local school administrative units shall comply with all requirements of the Strong Schools NC Public Health Toolkit as that guidance existed on December 4th, 2020 for implementation of Plan A and Plan B. What does that mean? These are the guidelines that the Cooper administration set up. (laughs) Says it right there. They shall comply with your guidance. So not so sure Cooper (laughs) is aware of what that legislation says. All right, so the next up is Ashley Talley. And she is a reporter at WRAL. She followed up with a question about the uh, teachers union, the NCAE, with essentially it essentially boils down to really a lot of superintendents are saying that it's impossible to maintain those um, six feet of distance in their classrooms and on their buses. How do you see all 115 school systems in North Carolina going back with caveats like this for middle and high school grades. Caveats. Uh, Thanks for that question. We're seeing this being done successfully throughout the state all all along. Oh. Uh, In our middle and high schools, uh, some systems are having our students there on certain days and other students there on other days. Uh, In some systems, there are enough people that want to keep their children at home that they're able to do social distancing in middle and high schools. And, you know, we've got to stick to the science and to the research. (laughs) And I think our health officials, I'll let Dr. Cohen come up and comment on that, but I think they feel pretty good about the research regarding elementary children and be able able to be back in in class with uh, the appropriate health uh, protections. But they remain concerned about middle and high school. They want them back in the classroom too but that social distancing is an important part of that. Dr. Cohen, would you want to speak to that? I think this is the part actually where I say, why are you opposed to the science? Listen to the science. Why do you hate science? I don't know about you, but I prefer to follow the science. Isn't that what we're supposed to say in this situation, right? To the NCAE, to the to the teachers union it's like we can't possibly go back to work in the classroom we'll die like just follow the science science and data and facts oh my science and data and facts oh my how quickly the worm turns 
Hi, Ashley. As you point out in your question, for our middle and our high school, we are saying we want to have all of those safety protocols that we use in elementary. Plus, we want to make sure we're keeping that six feet of social distance when when kids are in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, And we we have seen folks be able to do that successfully. Again, we we are looking at the science and the data that shows that transmission in middle and high school is closer to what we see in adults, which is why we want to maintain that six feet of distance. Um, I'd also uh, emphasize that it is uh, particularly the sports uh, is where we are seeing um, Mm. more transmission of of virus. Um, But when you're in school and you're maintaining six feet and you're wearing your mask, we're seeing very little viral spread. And that is how we can get our kids back in the classroom safely. And so that's why there's a difference between middle and high school versus what we're seeing in elementary school. And as I said, there are many ways to approach that six feet of distance as a government said some are doing some kids at, in, in different cohorts but depending on the school district if your classrooms are larger and you're able to spread out or if the, you have folks who are opting in to that virtual learning um, and you just have less folks you could be going um, each and every day in middle and high school as long as you're maintaining that six feet of distance and again this is why we're just wanting to maximize the safety <laughs> protocols and get our kids back in the classroom right. thanks yeah Uh, The word you're looking for is adapt. (laughs) Adapt. You've got a new reality, and it requires you to adapt. you got to change some stuff up. Is it going to look the same as it did before? No. But you can do it. It is possible. This legislation, again, by the way, just need to point this out, this constant reassurance and uh, reiteration that it's the science that's telling us we can reopen. They've they've got to break down the rigid faith that had calcified over this narrative that lockdowns were the only way to avoid all of us dying. That is a prevalent faith. It's an article of faith uh, among a lot of people on the left that the only way that we can all stay safe is if everything stays locked down. There are people even still today that argue for the economy to be locked down and they're looking at the new mutation of the virus, which, by the way, uh, that is normal, just like seasonality, the spike that we've seen in cases, that's that's normal. It's a virus. That's what happens. Uh, and now it's coming back down. So they're going to say, oh, look at that. The numbers are coming down. I guess we must be masking harder now. No, it's it's a virus. Viruses, virus. That's what they do. And so uh, it's the same thing, right? This article of faith that the lockdowns worked somehow when they didn't. And also notice there's very little attention ever paid to the downside of these actions. The NCAE in there, I've got I've got their writings. I got an email from them, actually. Yes, I'm on their list. <laughs> I know I gave them my real name. I don't know why they let me on their list, but they they let me on their list and I have their email here and They never talk about the downsides to the kids, ever. By the way, did you notice also in their list of um, legislative priorities, you know what was missing in there? Anything about improving performance for kids. Because it's the North Carolina Association of Educators. Okay? It's a teacher's union. It's not a kid's union. (laughs) It's not for the students. It's for the teachers. Yeah. So all of their priorities are about them. It's not about the kids. Um. Now, I know there are a lot of good teachers, hashtag not all teachers. I understand that. But this is the union, the NCAE, and they purport to speak for all teachers, even though they represent like only, was it like 5% if even that 
of all the teachers in the state. It's very small. Um, this legislation did clear the Senate. It was passed in a bipartisan fashion, as a matter of fact. Two Democrats voted with all the Republicans. The two Democrats were Ben Clark from Cumberland and Hoke counties. Uh, his district covers half of Cumberland and all of Hoke. Uh, his district includes Fort Bragg and Kirk DeVere, or DeVere, uh, and he's a representative for Cumberland County as well, the whole Cumberland County and um, or the rest of Cumberland County and uh, that including Fayetteville. So that's his district, both Democrats. Do you think the the presence of the military folks may have had something to do with <laughs> with their vote to return or uh, yeah, to open the schools back up? And again, this legislation, all it says is you have to offer the option. That's all it says. You have to offer the option. Now, if you have not had this option before and now kid, your kids may be going back to school, do they need a new backpack? Go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. He's got backpacks there. And these are cool and they're way more durable than the flimsy, cheapy things that you get from China at the big box stores. These are real U.S. military surplus. All right. Also, first aid kits. Come on into the shop and fully customize your kit for your needs. These are perfect for hikers and campers and hunters you should always have a medical kit when you go on your outdoor adventures or to have as part of your emergency preparedness supply and it is a must-have definite must-have uh, for everyone's go bag do you know what a go bag is you should have one everyone should have one go to old grouch's military surplus in downtown clyde uh, they have uh, been there for 30 years, and they're open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and 24-7 online at oldgrouch.com. So I asked at the beginning of the show, why the change of heart? Why the shift in this position by the governor? He says it's because the research shows that you can open schools safely. As we pointed out, though, that research is not new. It's been around for months. So what changed? I suspect it's because of public opinion. So it's not necessarily the science as much as it is the political science at play here. Um, there is a poll that came out here. Where was it from? Yeah, from Civitas. Uh, a new Civitas poll released this week shows 46% of likely registered voters give the governor a thumbs down on this school reopening issue. 39% give him a thumbs up. See, so... Like this, this particular aspect, right? Because he's done well on the polling on his handling of the pandemic. Uh, and this is not good. He's underwater on this one. Uh, 46 to 39 percent. Disapproval is strongest among Hispanics, 59 percent of whom expressed their concern over the governor's handling of school shutdowns. A plurality of unaffiliated and Republican voters, as well as those living in rural North Carolina, also disapprove of Cooper's actions. Voters showed a similar disapproval with their local school district's handling of reopenings, with 45 percent saying they either strongly or somewhat disapprove. Approval of local district actions is just 34%, and 7 out of 10 think instructional changes made in response to the pandemic have had a negative impact on student learning. 70%, which, like, to me, there's, like, that's surprising. It's only 70%? Really? <laughs> that's surprising. 32% of respondents said they would choose a traditional public school for their kid if location and cost were not a factor. 32% say they would stay in the traditional schools. 
and just seven and a half percent gave their local public school an A grading. This is, I think, the problem. I think Cooper is seeing the parental uh, uh, opposition to keeping the schools closed. I think he probably knew that they had to open back in July, but and he probably wanted to do so. And I think he may have even been ready to do so, but he didn't. And I think that was because the teachers union mobilized against him. I have this email where uh, the subject line is said, we want to states, we want to return. We want to uh, we deserve to be safe. Let Governor Cooper know. See, so they're whipping their base into an email pressure campaign to send messages to the governor. Don't you dare reopen unless you do these things. One of them is, you know, vaccinations uh, for every teacher first and support staff. Everybody has to get vaccinated first. And you got to pour a ton of money into the school system in order to pay for all of these things that they say they need in order to do it safely. Right. This is about growing their influence and their budgets. That's what this is about. Uh, And. Uh, Since the start of the pandemic, they say, we have been eager to return to in-person instruction as soon as it could be done safely. But unsafe conditions continue to exist in many school buildings, making returning to our classrooms a dangerous prospect. Again, they're not saying that you have to go. They're saying the district needs to offer the option and they can adapt to provide that however they need to meaning you have some students that are not going to go back to the classroom. They want to continue remotely. And then you have teachers that teach them remotely. Yep. Like this, we had, there was a a woman who was a listener to the show and she gave us this plan back six months ago, seven months ago, right? There's no reason why you cannot reformat the, the space in order to allow certain pods to teach remotely and certain pods to teach in person. You can do this like this is the problem when you have large organizations that have an entrenched mindset about the pedagogy, the way people are taught, right? The learning method. And when you think that kids can only learn if I'm standing in front of them droning on about whatever I had in my teacher lesson plan from the last you know, five years and I just keep doing the same lesson plan. Oh, I know. I know. People don't do that. <laughs> Not all teachers. <laughs> I I like I I have had bad teachers, okay? I've had bad teachers. So I don't buy this argument that every single teacher is fantastic because they're not. I've had bad ones. And I've said it when it comes to like compensation, I want to pay great teachers six figures. I think they're worth it. The good teachers, the great teachers are worth it. But I refuse to pay them that much money if it means I have to pay the bad teachers the same amount, because screw them. They're bad. <laughs> I've had them. I don't want them making a bunch of money because other teachers are great. That's that's a terrible way to compensate employees. Terrible way. It's also terrible for morale. Um, great for morale in your personal life is having a good bed to sleep on. It, it does wonders for your disposition. Having a, a mattress uh, that when you lay down on it, you just kind of sink into it, and it's like sleeping on a marshmallow. That's what Christy and I have. It's like sleeping on this big marshmallow. It's the memory foam, king-size memory foam. We got it at Mattress Man. You can get a uh, mattress at Mattress Man right now with great deals as well. They have the triple zero financing, zero down, zero APR for 24 months, zero payments for 90 days. Uh, also, the tax refund sale where you buy now, you pay later, no interest finance. 
financing and you sleep on your mattress right away and then you just pay it off when your tax refund comes in, right? Win-win. They have the Split King mattress blowout. That continues. Pick up a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses. The Split King is um, its a two-piece king mattress, so you can customize your bed. One side soft, one side firm, one side head up, one side feet up. Let the sleep consultants at Mattress Man help you pick the right bed for you. They go through extensive training uh, to learn about you know how people sleep and what, what uh, types of uh, mattresses are best for people's sleep style and position. So let them help you. Mattressmanstores.com is the website. They have four stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They ship nationwide. They have local five-star delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference. It's at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So here are some of the reactions from teachers, teacher union representatives all on Twitter the other day. Justin Parmenter. Well, I'll just I don't need to give you the names. I'll just tell you what they said. Time and again, we've heard Governor Cooper talk about how much he values and respects educators. Ask Cooper to put that talk into action by vaccinating us. Sign the petition here. Um, 25 states currently vaccinating educators and Cooper has the power to make that happen here, too. He has made the decision not to. I am shocked and disappointed that we continue to say how much we value educators and that schools are essential, but we're not vaccinating teachers the same as essential workers. It's absolutely criminal that NC teachers are being relegated to phase three for COVID vaccination while schools are reopening across our state for in-person instruction. So uh, to be clear, you think you should jump the line ahead of the 65 and older people? See, See what I mean? Like, There is a misperception of the risk. I also think that there is a huge mental health issue that has uh, been exacerbated, if not created, by the pandemic. People have lost their minds. They are gripped with fear. The paranoia, the anxiety, the fear that now dictates so much of how people go through their lives. It is sad to me. It is really sad. And I think that you're seeing a lot of this stuff manifest itself in these types of debates. Like here, um, Governor Cooper decided that schools should reopen. Is there anything more NC than this? One of my public school Wake County educator friends told me that, quote, scared doesn't even begin to describe it. Really? Really? What about all of the healthcare workers? What about people that have been in these nursing homes all this time? What about them? Scare doesn't even begin to describe it. She's previously told me that uh, she has already considered resigning. We're endangering the lives of disabled students by reopening school buildings for all students before it's truly safe to do so. Okay, first off, the research shows that it is it is safe to do so, especially the younger grades. Secondly, uh, there's no reason why you have to send everybody to the schools. Like you just have to provide the option and then you find out what kind of resources and and what kind of space you need and how that works. And look, there may be, it it may not be possible to allow everybody that wants in-person instruction to be able to get it. That that's a possibility here. Every school district is going to have to decide this and every school for themselves, right? Jenna Wadsworth, who ran for commissioner of agriculture, uh, she said, either you care about teachers or you don't. It's that simple. If you want to send children back to their classrooms, just vaccinate all teachers and support staff. Until then, stop playing politics with the lives of our educators and school personnel, governor. See, 
This is the irrational fear that people have. Why? I mean, part of it is because it's an unknown, it's a virus, and people have, you know, mental health problems already. But there's also an irrational fear that has been stoked and built up by media coverage and political leaders because there was a benefit to do so for them. There was a benefit to do so. Political leaders, for them, there was a benefit in undermining the response from the White House, right? Because it helped take out Trump. Um, There was a benefit for media because it gets the clicks. People are very afraid. And when they're afraid, they need information and they want to figure out what's going on. Uh, Have you been in a group chat with your family? I have now on two different occasions uh, when somebody gets diagnosed with COVID. And have you and what happens in there? And it's a it's a perfect microcosm of everything that we as a society are dealing with. People are trying to figure out like, well, when were you last around me? And when was I near that other person? And where could I have gotten it? And what do I need to do? And oh, my gosh, people are worried. And it just it's it like snowballs. And uh, I will point out that researchers on that collaborative study, they looked at hospitalization rates rather than confirmed cases of COVID-19. Why? Because the hospitalization metric gets you much closer to the outcomes of greater importance, they said, which was actual sickness. Right. Hospitalizations, not the case count. So what's the benefit of harping on the case count all the time? Makes people think that everybody is sick, everybody is infected. But then, I mean... This is the PCR test. We've been covering it now for months. Maybe, I don't know, maybe in a week or two, Governor Cooper will make an announcement that, uh, oh, all of this stuff that we've been saying for the last few months. (laughs) New research says "Ah, that might not have been accurate. Okay, well, I give the governor credit. He has shifted his position. That is a good thing when warranted. that's a wrap for the episode. Thanks so much for hanging out. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening and the support. Go to the Pete and subscribe. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 